Isn't that a wonderful parade? <laughs> as, uh, as you might have noticed, we're going to still be in Acts this morning. We're going to continue our study of Acts. We'll be in Acts chapter 17, and it's kind of where we left off. Now, where we left off, um, we actually kind of hit it two different ways. We hit it from Acts, and then we hit it from Thessalonians. But uh, Paul had, had uh, been preaching the gospel in Thessalonica, and then he went on to Berea. And when he got to Berea, he preached the gospel, and they're the ones that were noble. They were the ones that, that searched to see if this was true. They were, they were searching their scriptures. And so we talked about that a couple of weeks ago before Father's Day. And then, uh, and then we also saw how the Thessalonians went 50 miles from Thessalonica to, to Berea just to riot against Paul. And so where we left off, Paul is leaving. He leaves Berea, and he actually ends up in Athens. And he's in Athens uh, as we study this morning, and he's waiting there for Silas and Timothy to make it, to, to get there. And, and as Paul is walking around, I'm giving you a little bit of the context here. As Paul is walking around in Athens, he sees monuments and statues and temples to everything. They, have, they, they worship Greek gods there and Roman gods there. And they, they have a god for everything there. And so there was literally a monument or a statue or a temple to everything there. And so Paul, that, that really distressed Paul. So that's where we're going to pick up this morning. Is, is where he is talking to the Athenians, the, the people of, of Athens, and, uh, and talking to them specifically about the unknown God. Now, here, here's what I think is interesting. I said a couple of weeks ago, you've heard me say it before, my greatest desire is for you, know, you to know the God I know. Because so many problems are caused by a wrong view of God. If you have this view of God that he's this, this far-off deity that really doesn't have any, any impact on your daily life, then you're going to live like there is no God. If you have this, this idea that God is, is just up there waiting to catch you doing something wrong so he can punish you, then you are not going to lean into him when times get hard. A wrong view of God causes so many problems. And so Paul sees this one statue to the unknown God, and he says, I want to talk to you about this God because you have the wrong view of God. So let's pick up in, in Acts chapter 17, picking up in verse 22, and it is right up here behind me. Paul stood in the middle of the Areopagus and said, People of Athens... I see that you were extremely religious in every respect. For as I was passing through and observing the objects of your worship, I even found an altar on which was inscribed to an unknown God. Therefore, what you worship in ignorance, this I proclaim to you. The God who made the world and everything in it, he is the Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in shrines made by hands. Neither is he served by human hands as though he needed anything, since he himself gives everyone life and breath and all things. From one man he has made every nationality to live the, over the whole earth, 
and has determined their appointed times and the boundaries of where they will live. Did this so they might seek God, and perhaps they might reach out and find Him, though He is not far from each one of us. For in Him we live and move and have our being, as though some of your own poets have said, for we also are His offspring. Since we are God's offspring then, we shouldn't think that the divine nature is like gold or silver or stone, an image fashioned by human art and imagination. Therefore, having overlooked the times of ignorance, God has now commands all people everywhere to repent, because he has set a day when he is going to judge the world in righteousness by the man he has appointed. And he has, pro- he has provided proof of this to everyone by raising him from the dead. So there are, there are two, generally two views of um, of how, what, where, where Paul is arguing from. Some say that he's arguing from a philosophical view, and others say that he's arguing from an Old Testament view. Now, I would argue the Old Testament view, but we'll, we'll look at both arguments. Now, we first need to understand where this happens. Verse 22 tells us that it's at the Areopagus. Era now, that's not actually a Sesame Street character. That's Snuffleupagus. You hear the difference? Where this, this is also called Mars Hill. Uh, in fact, Areopagus actually means Mars Hill. And it's because the, the god of war, Ares or Mars, actually uh, was on trial by, by Greek mythology. He was put on trial for... If we're killing the son of Neptune, and this is the place that it, that trial happens, so that's what's going. Why this hill is Mars Hill or Areopagus, because it's it's literally the place of Arius or Mars, the god of war, and where he had where he was tried. But let's look at the the two ideas of philosophical or Old Testament argument. In the beginning of this, he says that the Athenians are extremely religious. Now, that, that is, uh, he says, you're extremely religious in every way. That, uh, that's kind of Greek rhetoric or debate is what that, uh, where that comes from. It's kind of giving them a, a backhanded uh, or a compliment with kind of a backhanded dig. <laughs> because the, the word for religious here either can mean pious or, or holy or, or, or devout, or it can mean superstitious. And so we see kind of by the end of his argument, he's talking superstition, not devout or holy or pious. So that kind of leans towards the philosophical argument. Also, you could see that, that Paul argues from nature to God, which is a philosophical argument. That's how uh, philosophy does, is it, it, it goes from, from nature to something. So we can see that, and he, and he even quotes one of the Stoic poets here when he says that, uh, uh, that we are his offspring. That's, that's actually a quote from a Stoic poet. So that's kind of a philosophical argument. The problem lies in this view when it comes to repentance and resurrection, because he clearly calls for everyone everywhere to repent, now, philosophy never asks you to repent. 
Philosophy is always about blaming somebody else for your problem. That's what philosophy does. So the philosophical argument doesn't line up with a call to repent or any kind of idea of resurrection, which is where Paul sums up here. So as you can tell, I think it's an Old Testament argument, not a, uh, a philosophical argument. Because think about your Old Testament. He argues, Paul argues here, who God is by what God has done. Isn't that exactly what our Old Testament does? Where do we start in the Old Testament? With creation, right? We start with the most important words, perhaps, in the Bible, and that is, in the beginning, God. So it starts out with an assumption of God and shows what God has done. So it argues for God from what God has done. Then he continues, actually, to, to, uh, to go from the world exists because of God and because of who God is. He doesn't live in temples. He doesn't, because he's the great creator. And though he is, though he created everything, he is distinct from his creation. So we see an Old Testament type argument here. And then, of course, when we get to repentance and the idea of the, the resurrection, these are Old Testament themes. Uh, uh, repentance, judgment, resurrection, these are Old Testament themes. How many times do the poets and, or, or the, the psalmists or the, 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 the prophecies say, repent? So I would argue the Old Testament, that he takes the Old Testament just like we have it, just like we have it. He starts from what God has created and leads us to who God is. I think that's what he's doing here. And then I think it's, it's interesting, he says, what you worship in ignorance. Now, ignorance is a nice word, isn't it? He actually uses it twice. He says what you worship in ignorance, and then he says that God has forgiven the time of ignorance. So, so what is ignorance? Well, biblically, ignorance is, more the, is, is greater than just not knowing something. It is, it is a, there's a spiritual connection to it. There is the idea that you don't know and you could know but don't want to. That's kind of the idea of ignorance. Now, isn't that exactly how we use it today? If we call somebody ignorant, it isn't a compliment. And it isn't saying they just don't know. We're, we're essentially saying you don't know and you don't want to know. It's an attitude. Ignorance is an attitude, isn't it? It's the way we use it, and it's really the way that we see it in Scripture. So it's not just a matter of they don't know the unknown God. They don't want to know the unknown God. And, and, and I think that's true of our our day today. You know, I, I recently read, uh, Jill and I were talking about it, we recently read uh, an article that said that over 80% of Americans say they believe in God. Over 80%. Why aren't our churches full if over 80% of Americans believe in God? Because they worship in ignorance. They, they, they think there is a God. They believe there is a God but they don't want to know any more than that. Because once you know more than that, then you have to submit to God. You have to realize who you are in light of who God is. If God is the creator, then I am the creation. And that means I submit to my creator. 
That's the step people don't want to take. And so they worship in ignorance, just like these Athenians. That's a, we literally have an unknown God today. The God, the one true God, the God of the Bible, so many, over 80% of Americans say they, know who, they believe he's there, but they don't want anything to do with them because then they're not in charge, right? Because we want to be in charge. We have a problem with submission. And so it remains an unknown God. It remains ignorance because there can't be too many people in our culture that don't know the name God. There can't be too many people in our culture that don't know the name Jesus. Even if it's only in a string of cuss words, they've heard the name. <clears throat> there aren't too many people left in our, our society that would think, wow, a church, what's that? No, they know God. They know there's a God. They know who Jesus is, and they know what the church is. Yet they want to remain ignorant about who God is, what God has done for them, what the church is about. They want to remain ignorant. They want to continue to worship in ignorance, the unknown God. We have that same problem today. Things haven't changed much from first century Athens to today, have they? So this is Paul's message. He begins with God created everything. He begins with the idea that everything you see came about because God exists, because God created it to exist. Look around and see what God's done. Then he begins with who God is. He leads from what God has done to who God is the Lord of heaven and earth, as he calls him. And he, and he says he's much too big to, to live in, in, in shrines made by human hands or temples. Or, or they, he's, he's, he's much greater than his creation. He's separate and distinct from it. And yet, he is the sustainer of everything as well because Paul even says he chooses who's going to live when and where. When you're going to live, your time on this, this planet, decided by God beforehand. Where you live now, where you have lived, decided by God beforehand. All of this sustainer work that God does, this is who God is. He's the creator, we're the creation. He's the sustainer because he continues the world moving and moving us within it. So we have God the, the creator, God the sustainer. And then he, he kind of goes through God's history with mankind. He starts with one man and, and creates all of mankind. One man, one woman, all of mankind. So you see, you see how Paul's argument works. You see how he goes from what God has done to who God is to who we are in light of who God is to what God has done in our lives to, to get us to this point and then leads us to the, the idea of judgment and repentance. He, he says, for in him, in verse 28, for in him we live and move and have our being. We are his offspring. We are who we are because God is who he is. That's, that's Paul's argument. We are who we are. 
where we are, when we are, because of who God is. Do you see that argument? Do you see how that makes perfect sense? That's, that's literally an Old Testament argument. That's not a philosophical one. That's an Old Testament argument. That, that we are where we are and who we are and when we are because God has chosen that. God has decided that. God has put us here. The way I like to say that, you might have heard me say it from this platform before, is you were made on purpose with a purpose. And we are gathered here today, together, on purpose, with a purpose. God's purpose, not ours, God's. So we are who we are because God is who he is. And then he moves to to God's forgiveness for us. He overlooks our ignorance. Because if we are honest with ourselves, we were not all always just, well, I don't know anything about God. We didn't want to know anything about God. Something broke through in our lives. Something broke through in our hearts, and now we know God. Now we have a relationship with him through Christ. That breakthrough is God's. We were once all in our ignorance as well. And he doesn't hold that ignorance against us. We had, all of us had at one time, an attitude of I'm in charge, not God. I don't want God to be in charge. I want to be in charge. We all had that attitude at one time, and God does not hold that against us. He forgives our ignorance. Isn't that a beautiful thing? And then he talks about asking us to, to, to repent. Asking us to repent. Asking us to turn from everything else being God to the one true God. I'm not God anymore. Neither is this statue, this money, whatever it is that's holding that place in your life, that's not who it is anymore. It's the God of the Bible. It's the one true God because of Jesus Christ. We have a relationship with the one true God. And then there's a warning. Because God is who he is, and because we are who, who we are in light of who God is, God has the right to judge our lives. He has the right. He created us. He placed us when where and how we live. So he has the right to judge how we're living, what we're doing with what he's given us. He has the right to to judge us because of who he is and because of who we are. He has the right to judge. Now, it doesn't say this in the text, but I feel pretty certain saying that the Athenians didn't like the idea of being judged. Why do I say that? Because we hate the idea of being judged. We hate that idea. Uh, What do you hear from from our culture and our society right now? Don't judge me. Don't be judgmental. And it's actually true because there is a judge and it's God. So that job's taken. We don't need to be. (laughs) We don't actually need to be judgmental because that job's taken. God's got it. And there is going to be a day when God will judge our lives. There is going to be that day. And the proof is in the man he has appointed, Jesus Christ, the one who rose from the dead. 
Jesus lived this life, died for our sin, overcame death to be resurrected. He has earned the right to judge us on this life. He's earned the right because of who he is and because of who we are. So you can, you, so are you following Paul's case for God here? Paul goes from, from knowing who God is by what he has created. Then that we are his offspring and are responsible to know him and to worship him and to repent because he is our judge. What God has done to who God is. Who God is to who we are. Our responsibility to God because of who he is and because of who we are and our accountability to God. You can see Paul's argument. It's pretty simple, actually. It, it runs very Old Testament and, and it runs perfectly logically. Do you know God or are you worshiping in ignorance? I'm going to ask that you bow your heads because that's the most important question I can ask you today. Are you worshiping in ignorance or do you know God? You can know Him through Jesus Christ. The man appointed, as, as Paul calls him in these verses. You can know him. It's as simple as a, as a simple prayer. Just follow along in your own words and say, God, I believe that you are. I believe that, that you are who this says you are. Creator, sustainer, redeemer. And I know that I have sin in my life. The Bible calls it sin when I, when I say things wrong and, and do things wrong and think things wrong. So I ask you to forgive me for my sin because Jesus has died on that cross to pay the price. And I ask you to come into my life that I might live a life worshiping you, not in ignorance, but in knowing you. If you prayed that prayer for the first time this morning, let somebody know. Come and let me know. Elbow your neighbor. Let them know. Maybe this morning you know God, but as you look back at your last week or two, it's kind of been distant. He's kind of been the guy up on the throne while I'm down here working. Will you take this moment to reconnect? They say, God, I know that you're, you, you are not far from me, as Paul promises here. Father, we thank you for this, your word. We thank you for who you are. We thank you for who we are, who we have been created to be. And we thank you, Father, for reminding us this morning. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen.